Episode 47 of the podcast is with Ross Burberry, the performance manager at Rotherham United. This was one of the most fascinating interviews I've done for a long time. I think it was a really good, um, refreshing view from Ross on certain aspects of of what we do in, in our industry. It was great to get his views on certain things. He talked about his strategy for change when going into a new role. He also gave some really good and refreshing ideas on around pay. So there's been a lot of talk about pay and salaries recently, and Ross gave his thoughts on that, which were really good. And then he also spoke about what we can do better as an industry. So I think that was just some real good advice from Ross. And like I say, I found it one of the most refreshing interviews I've done for a long time. And I came out of it with pages of notes and loads of different thoughts on different things. So I hope you find it um, as fascinating as what I did. So please get in touch if you haven't done already for any future guests. If you've got any recommendations of anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast, please let us know. We've got the next few lined up, but if you do have any ideas of anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast or or any subjects as well um, you'd like to hear discussed, please let us know. You can drop us an email mail at footballfitfed.com you can also go and follow us on twitter and instagram we're at footballfitfed and you can also head over to the website footballfitfed.com which has got our resources over there um some ebooks speed ebooks the speed drills ebook actually is on there as well um which has gone down really well with coaches just a book of drills from pro clubs and you can also get our bundle of ebooks now, which is available on the website. So that's all three ebooks available at a cheaper price. You can go and find that at footballfitfed.com and just click the shop tab. So, like I said, this episode I really enjoyed. I hope you do too. And um, let us know what you think. Get in touch. And here's the episode with Ross. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I am joined by Ross Burberry. Ross is the performance manager at Rotherham United. Ross, thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure, Ben. How are you doing today? All, all good? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Very well. Like I just said before we uh, before we hit record, both kids have just gone to school. I've got a Wednesday morning free, so uh, it's quite unusual. Um but yeah, for uh, for both kids going to school now, we managed to get through that that period of uh, of having the kids in the childcare. I'm a free man now, mate. So uh, living the dream. All the things you could possibly <laughs> do on that first morning that you're free and you're chatting to me. That's and I'm chatting to you. Hundred <laughs> percent. There's never a day off in football, pal. Is there? <laughs> exactly. Well, do you want to um, do you want to kick us off, Ross? I've just mentioned your current role, but do you want to take us up to that point? What where you've been? What you what you've done previously? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I got into football um, through university. I, I played ice hockey growing up, um, so football wasn't my first sport of choice. So, but I did have a massive, massive interest in the physical, uh, physical side of it. Obviously, playing quite a physical sport. So, coming through a sports science degree at Sheffield Hallam, many, many moons ago, I was doing some work at Sheffield Wednesday's academy running the evening programme alongside uh, Carl Wells, who I have a lot to be thankful for, for where I am from today. Um, Coming through a couple of years at Sheffield Wednesday, doing the evening programme with the 9s to 16s, got an opportunity to move to Doncaster Rovers when they got promoted to the championship in 2008. 
So that was my kind of first gig working in senior football, um, thrown in at the deep end, sports science, S&C, kind of jack of all trades, one man fits all, um, and started working with Shona Driscoll and Richard O'Kelly, two unbelievably fantastic mentors. Um, and Sean was kind of the, the ultimate thinker, you know, really, really challenged everything that I was doing um, and showed me a different way of operating and a very lateral way of thinking. So three and a half years at Donny, uh, changing management, a few staff went and um, I followed Sean to Crawley for a very short period of pre-season in 2012 until he got the job at Forest. And I was there for three and a half years. Um, and yeah, there was a, a few changes in management during that time. Um, and it got to a point where I was coming to the end of my tenure at Forest of about three and a half years there where I was thinking, you know what, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to branch out. I'd like to see what more, what more I can see in terms of sport, football, the world. Um, and me and the family took the plunge and moved to North America to work for a short time over with the Buffalo Sabres and Rochester Americans. So I went over there to lead up the sports science, medical, athletic trainer kind of performance department um, over at Rochester Americans under performance director Ollie Finlay. So had a short time over there. Things didn't particularly work out under, under his leadership. Um, North American way of doing things, very traditionalist. Um, and we were trying to be very innovative and fast-paced, which didn't particularly mix well. So we ended up coming back, and lo and behold, after going around to the other side of the world, um, the opportunity came up at, at Rotherham United, where there was a change in management. The fitness coach, now the manager in Paul Warren, uh, left the gap, and I went in there to help out, and yeah, the rest is history, mate. So what was your strategy going into the club, Ross? Do you want to talk us through the, the sort of situation that you found yourself in in terms of what staff were available, what roles were available, and then the approach you took from there? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, when I went in, it was the, um, it was the championship uh, era the last year. They spent it in the championship before they got relegated. I went in in February 2017 uh, and literally just took a, a fitness coach's role to try and assist the management team towards the end of the season. Um, we tried our best to, to keep the boys in the championship, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. But that was probably the best thing that could have happened to the club. So when uh, Paul announced that he was going to take over the club and, and be the manager going into the, the next year, it was a case of, right, Ross, I want you to stop on. Um, and I, I wasn't kind of giving conditions of, of me stopping on, but I was saying, look, we can do a lot, lot better in terms of the, the supporting department of sports science and medicine than what currently operates, which was literally a, a fitness coach, a physio and a masseur. So it was, um, it was a very kind of strategic move for me to then get in board, on board with the chief exec and say, look, we, we need to really enhance this strategically and go through some form of change management to then go, this is what we can provide to the players in terms of a support and the answer I got back to that was, look, Ross, it's going to be a hard challenge for you because we've never really had any hard evidence of sports science working at this football club. So I'm thinking, right, OK, then I'll, uh, I enjoy a challenge. So let's, um, let's see what we can make of it. Um, I put a proposal together for the club, said, look, this is what we need uh, in terms of sports science, medical, rehabilitation. 
Um, and I think that the biggest thing that I learned from putting that proposal forward was my time over in North America, where you you have to look at change within an organization and match the organization's pace at which they want to change. There's no point me coming in there all guns blazing saying you need this, that and the other. And then the football club have just clearly admitted to me that they've never really had that that level of support before. There's going to be a bit of a clash there and there's going to be a bit of a uh, a bit of a conflict potentially because there's two two values, two sets of values and two different philosophies on how the club should operate. So from, from my perspective, strategically, I looked at what would give us the best level of service. Um, and I was very, very lucky. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my hands up there and say I was in an extremely fortunate position where the manager gave me uh, full ownership to, to do that. Um, we pretty much recruited a 70% new squad going into the League One campaign. Um, and I was given full license to recruit in a new training facility that was just built that we had um, uh, accountability for, for, for building the performance and medical aspect as well. So really, it was literally like going into a completely new a new era. So from that side of things, I was very, very fortunate to get that, that license and ability to be creative on, on how I wanted things to move going forwards. Yeah, that's really interesting. The, the I suppose it's a justification of um, what we can do as as sports scientists and S and C coaches, isn't it? And I've saw a lot of chat on Twitter recently regarding um, people talking about masters and qualifications, and actually saying that it should be more to do with what you've done, your, your result. It is, but it, it's kind of what what came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, it's always one of those where we'll we'll focus on what we've done. But if if we're a graduate who's come straight out of university into a masters and kind of done a little bit of work supporting on placements here there and you know using that kind of uh, that real kind of dark dark word of internships potentially as well. So it's it's difficult. It is very very difficult, and we we all need the underpinning knowledge of uh, sports science and SNC that gets taught to us through undergrad and postgraduate programs. And I know that um, compared to when I did mine, um, undergrad and masters, and compared to how the students that we get in now or the graduates that we get in now talk about how they've done their uh, undergraduate and postgraduate programs, the the teaching element and the learning element is completely different to what it was, and rightly so. You know, we we need to go through that evolution of learning and and try and get students into a position where they can go into the applied environment and not kind of hit the ground running, but have a very, very good idea of how the environment operates. And I think that that's the biggest difference is that the academic side is is fine. It gives you the knowledge and the, the academia to go and investigate research and collect evidence-based practices and, and whatever else. But the, the big thing for me, the experience gives you is understanding the environment. That, that for me is, uh, that, that, that's invaluable. We've had so many student placements come through through university programs and they're you know putting on the CVs that they've got a first in this module and distinction with honours and whatever else on this module and stuff. And they come into the environment, but they just don't get it. They, they don't get the environment. And we all talk about how daunting a professional sporting team's environment can be. And that completely depends on the makeup of what players you've got in and the personalities of those players. But f- for me... The experience is key because 
of understanding the environment, and that's that's massive. We we can talk about what um, what experiences you've had, which I think are good outside of a professional environment as well. So, you know, have you done anything to support charities? Have you travelled the world? Have you been in other organisations? Have you challenged um, learning uh, methods at university to try and do something a bit different rather than writing journals? But ultimately, it, it comes down to have you had experience of working with athletes before? And if you have, then that probably puts you in very, very good stead. And that's, as, as a recruiter for me, for someone wanting to come into my department, that's, that's what attracts me, is that you've had experience of working with athletes before. I think it's the old uh, Simon Sinek quote, isn't it? It's, uh, you, you don't hire for skills, you hire for attitude, because you can teach skills. You can't really teach the attitude side of it. But if you get a person that's come in and, and understands what it's like, then you're probably going to be in a very, very good stead to, to teach them the skills needed within the environment. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where I kind of have on, uh, on my take point for now. And what would your advice be um, to practitioners that have been in clubs that, that have quite a bit of experience now and they've, they've got results with clubs, but they struggle to sort of show that and they struggle to go into the next role um, because they're unable to, I suppose, like advertise themselves, market themselves well enough? What, what would your advice be to those guys? That's a great question. That's a really, really good question. Um, I mean, in terms of marketing yourself, and you know, we, we hear the term quite a lot, build your brand, and um, social media is, is a great plat- platform for some people to do that. I, I have my differing opinions on using social media to self-publicize. I'm, I'm not really kind of cut from that cloth where I'm, I'm putting photos and videos at the club and, and doing my job. And, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, that's just not something that I'm particularly into. Um, but for experienced practitioners to carry on getting into roles, um, I think it's down to networking, if I'm honest. Um, it's really, really hard to, to, to categorise yourself as being successful within a football club because you know, sports science and S&C do play our, our part, but probably not as big a part as some sports scientists and S&Cs think they do. You know, I've, I've seen football clubs over the years that I've worked in football that have very, very little sports science and SNC support and actually do really, really well with it. Rotherham United being being one over the years where you you know you have someone who comes in who, who can really strive to make them fitter through running and through some gym work. But as the club have said to me, no real hard evidence of sports science working. And they've had a fantastically successful campaign in the championship over the years before getting relegated when I first joined them. So I, th- I think for experienced practitioners, you, you, can't, you can't really say you've reduced injuries by this percent or you've managed to gain performance by this percent. But I think the big thing is, is, is the networking side of it. Um, people work with people, don't they? You know, it's, we, we go down this kind of robotic route now of analysing data and ob- objectivity of, of everything that we do, which is fantastic. That's, you know, that's how we measure improvements. But in terms of getting experienced practitioners to keep being successful and working at a good level in professional sport, it, it's working with people of having the belief and trust. Um, the, the kind of the phrase that I use quite a lot within the staff at, at Rotherham United within our department is belief and trust are, are really powerful, really powerful commodities. But expectation and entitlement are, are, are deleterious. They're, they're really damaging to the environment. 
So I think just because you've had 10 years working in professional football, you shouldn't expect to work at that level or be entitled to work at that level. But what you have to do is you have to have a, a belief and trust in the people that you're working around. So if I get sacked from Rotherham United tomorrow, <clears throat> I know that these people are within the, within the league, within other sports, that I can mention to them and say, look, I've, I've been let go. If you know of any roles going, no problem. Um, please put my name forward. And I'd like to think the people that I know within the, um, within the football world could have a high opinion of me as I would have a high opinion of them. And then that would get you into the next level of work. Um, but I don't think you can use the, the anecdotal stuff, the um, here's my data that I've collected over the years or here's my, my kind of injury record or, or whatever else because every Tom, Dick and Harry can do that now and we can ma- manipulate stats till the cows come home. But I think fundamentally, experienced practitioners just network. Networking is the, is the biggest possible thing you can do and just to showcase your personality and how you could fit within the environment and what you're all about. To me, that, that's probably the most important thing. I think that's really good advice. And the fact that you, it's like, it's, it's trying to get out of the fact of being comfortable, isn't it? It's, it's proving your worth, but it's also putting yourself out there and, you, and, and getting around, meeting different people, putting yourself in situations that you can learn from, but they, not, they aren't necessarily comfortable. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. It's, it's, it is sometimes of, you know, if, if you spend time in the car, which I used to drive into Forest. I used to be on the phone all the time, um, just speaking with people, keeping in contact with people, you know, good results, bad results. Let's talk about them in the weekend, what you're doing different in terms of your programming and, and bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, you know, now that I'm back in, in Rotherham, my drive time isn't that, that long going from Sheffield to Rotherham. So I'm probably in the car for about half an hour there, half an hour back. But it gives me a chance to make a phone call in the morning and a phone call in the afternoon because I'm quite local to some some clubs around here, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United. You know, I, I might go and have a, a coffee with Tony Strudwick or go for a bit of breakfast with Lee McMahon up at Sheffield United or something like that. And I think it's just that, that, that level of involvement of building solid relationships with people. I mean, we're all in the same boat together. We're all trying to drive performance and, and move the... Um, move the boat forward in terms of getting players a better supporting provision. But fundamentally, if I was to think of, right, who's been a big influence on me in my playing career through ice hockey, which wasn't to a great level, by the way, but the, the coaches that influenced me, I probably won't remember all the X's and O's. I probably won't remember the different drills that they came out with or what they asked me to do in the weight room. I'll probably remember the people that are there for me as a person to support me, to nurture me to give me that kind of positive vibe that I needed sometimes when I was training in the evening. I didn't really fancy it. Or my body was banged up on a Monday from from the weekend and I needed that someone to put their arm around me and just give me a bit of love. And I think that that's what we need as coaches, not just from us to players, but from us amongst ourselves. Because we all know it's a really difficult industry to work in. We all know it's a seven-day-a-week job where as soon as you leave the training ground, you are getting your laptop at home and you're going through all your bits and bobs that you probably don't want to do when you're at work because you don't want to be seen as a desk man you want to be seen as the person that's putting hands on and supporting other players throughout so I think for me personally that the networking side of things is is absolutely huge and um, as part of whatever you want to categorise as the industry the people that work within it 
are needed to help each other to drive that performance forward. We're always going to come out with new ideas. We're always going to drive innovation. Um, but the relationships is, um, is a big, big thing for me. And one thing I wanted to ask you, Ross, was you mentioned all the clubs you've been at and the, and the places you've worked at, including over in the States. What would you say is your top advice for coaches creating opportunities for themselves, but then also taking those opportunities as well? Right, that's a great question. I think that comes back to uh, back to the, the networking side of things again. Um, I mean, there's there's no shortage of, of jobs uh, been advertised. You know, there's there's so many that's been advertised through the FMPA, United Kingdom Strength Conditioning Jobs, or UK Sport, or whatever else. And you know, there's there's so many vacancies that are becoming available now. Um, but I think if if we look at taking those positions and applying for those positions it has to come back down to what we just talked about with the networking and the relationships if um if i know of someone that was applying for a role at rotherham united whether it's uh being seen as um falsifying the equal opportunities and the uh the ability to send an application and be seen as a uh, an equal candidate unfortunately you're going you're going to form a bias from knowing the person prior whether that puts them in good or bad stead but if we have someone that's worked within the department or I know within the industry who's applying for a role at the club, I know what they're going to bring to the table in terms of their personality. And I think the personality is the biggest thing. So, again, I think to answer your question, it just comes back to what we talked about before with relationships. Pick up the phone or, you know, if you want to do it the new school way, get yourself on Twitter and drop people a direct message and arrange for a chat on the phone or go for a coffee with them or something. And just try and see what makes what makes people tick, whether that's a, a prospective employer or if that's someone you're looking at to potentially work for your organisation. It, it's all down to the the soft skills, the personalities, the characters, the charisma, the positivity that people can bring to the environment. I, I don't think it's down to any more, I got a first in my degree. I, I honestly couldn't give a monkeys if um, a candidate applied for a job at Rotherham and they got a first or a third. I know that there's going to be some type of knowledge there within the ability to get a degree anyway. And we can sharpen those skills up, no problem. But if they're going to apply for a role and they've got such a good attitude and application to, to come into the environment, then I know that we're going to get more from them that way than what I would do in terms of, well, we're working on this, this style of program or he's really effective on periodization or anything. I'm going to get so much more from this member of staff if they're good at working with other people. Yeah, and it soon gets uh, you soon get caught out in that, like you said about understanding the environment before. But as soon as you get in the in that changing room with the players, it, the players don't care what what degree you've got, do they? They care about how you can help them and how you speak to them and how you can build relationships with them. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at let's say you get into the football club at seven o'clock in the morning, and then you're leaving at I don't know four or five o'clock or something like that. How much time of your day are you actually spent? Um, showcasing your knowledge or writing programs that are you know really really effective down to the point with literature and velocity based training or whatever I'm just spitballing here I don't think you're going to be spending that much time in in that capacity the majority of the time that you spend at the football club is interaction with people is interaction with staff is interaction with players 
And what you have to have, and this comes back to the kind of the first question that you asked with regards to academia or experience, you have to have both, but you have to have more of the second, you have to have more of the experience side because if you get approached by the, the coach or by the manager and say, right, okay, this is what we've got planned for today's training, what do you think? That, that should be instantaneous, that should be off the cuff. You know, you should be able to then say, this is what we've got planned and this is the reason why in terms of the, the, the actual nitty-gritty of the, the, the running distances or the capacity to, to, to play. Whereas if you look at the other side of it and you've got a player that comes in in the morning, can you, can you put him on the radar to say he's not turned in the same way this morning? And I'm not saying you know, by collecting wellness data on the iPad he's a red flag. I'm saying, can you see the way that he carries himself into the football club today? Has he got a bit of a weight on his shoulders that you need to try and take off? Because if that player comes in, and I, I don't believe this, the, the kind of old school mentality of, yeah, don't worry about it, you leave all your problems at home, you forget about them when you get on the football pitch. Absolutely not. The, the biggest thing that will help a, a footballer or a, even a member of staff is that if they have harmony away from the football club, if they have harmony in their life, then they will become a better person at work. Um, I remember reading a book, uh, Breakfast with Bales, really, really, really good book. And he was talking about the trifecta. The trifecta being do something you love, get very good at doing it, and have a really good support network of people around you who will help you become that, that person to enjoy your work and, uh, and to get really, really good at it. So I think by taking those three things, that's what we've got to do as, as coaches to other coaches and coaches to players. Make sure that they come into an environment that they really love to come into. That, that's the thing for me. Tell people they're brilliant. Tell people they're great at what they do and ultimately they will become brilliant and as a result, enjoy it. They'll become better at the job. They'll enjoy coming into work. But the, the one thing we can't have a great deal of control over is what happens away from the football club in terms of their personal life. And we're not here to pry. We're not here to say, look, what's happening at home with your missus? They might be quite secretive people. They might not want to tell you. But you have to be available. You have to be available to them. Um, and I'm not saying that we're going to be counsellors, but we have to show certain traits of we're caring people. Come to the football club. And if you want to tell me that you're having difficulties at home, then, then absolutely. We had a conversation in the gym yesterday, me and one of the players, um, and it was literally the environment was in the gym. We were lifting, we were putting some weight on a trap bar, and we were throwing some tin about, and in between sets, we were talking about the difficulties at home. It, it's brilliant. That's exactly what the environment should do for you. It gives you a lot of closure talking to people about that, and it gets quite a lot off your chest. And hopefully, if you can take a little bit of advice uh, and give a little bit of advice, you take that away, you create your problems at home or make them a little bit better if you can, come to the work the next day and all of a sudden things become so much better. And that, that for me is what increases performance of players, having harmony in their life, not whether they can stick more in a bar or they can uh, perform a T-test in whatever seconds. It is literally down to the enjoyment factor and having a, a, a good life away from the football club. Yeah, I think that's absolutely quality. Really, really good advice. And uh, you like to think that coaches do that anyway, don't you? But they probably need to focus on it that bit more just to to get the most out of the players. Like you used harmony in the life like, and try and support where possible. We, Like you said, we, we're not counsellors. We're not trained counsellors anyway. But we can act as a, as a bit of an ear um, 
for them to express what they're going through and that can help performance on the pitch at the end of the day. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the figureheads in, in the media now, you know, Jurgen Klopp and, um, you know, even to some capacity, you look at the old school managers and you ask players uh, about what made them a really good manager. And it was like they, they'd manage me as a person. They knew what made me tick. You know, I hear stories sometimes about uh, managers driving the cars onto training pitches and, and getting players to sit in the car and they'll go for a couple of laps around the training pitch in the car completely and utterly wacky stuff but in that element you know you, you've got a player who's in his full kit driving around a train uh, driving a car in um around the training pitch talking to the manager thinking wow this is this is a bit different but it's an opportunity to vent a little bit you go back on the training pitch and then you, you're a changed person i'm not saying we all have to drive a car around a training pitch but what i am <laughs> saying is that you, you have to try and find some innovative ways of doing things if you're going to do the same thing day in day out and just be that guy that stands there in the gym putting coaching cues about of how to squat or how to lift, it's probably not going to give you that much in terms of uh, buy-in from the players. No, not buy-in. I don't like the term buy-in. But it, that, that interaction with the players, um, just, just silly little things, just, just how, you, how you do your training. We, we were on the bike the other day with one of the lads from the, um, one of the younger players in his rehabilitation and we were doing a, a walk bike session. I think it was a half hour, 40 minute walk bike session. But what we did is we, we played a game where I then put a song on in the gym. He'd put a song on in the gym. And you have to guess who the artist was. Obviously, there's about 15, 20 years between me and the, the player on the bike. So he's putting all the new stuff on. I'm putting all the old stuff on. But if you couldn't get the song right, then there was a forfeit of hitting 30 seconds at 300 watts on the bike. So it became a game almost. It became an interactive game, but we're still getting a massive conditioning element into the session that we're doing with him. And I think that then creates a relationship. That creates a bond. It then shows vulnerability and weakness as a coach because you can't get all the answers right. And you can also give power and ownership to the player. It, it sounds a real, real pedantic way of doing things by just doing a, a guess who sang it on the what bike. But it, it creates a relationship. And then from there, you can then build that relationship with the player and then it becomes open, it becomes trusting. You get a lot of belief in each other, you know, those two precious commodities that we just talked about earlier. And then that's when players can start and open up and talk to you as a person rather than a, a player and a coach. That way we then resort back to, is there anything you need to talk to me about? Can I make your life better? Not just better as a player, can I make you better uh, as a person? So when you're leaving the training ground, you're going to go home a happier person to your to your family or to your girlfriend or to whoever. Um, and I think that's something that we can do as coaches. We forget sometimes that you're not just there to make a, a player better, um, a performance capacity. You're there to make him a better person. And if you can if you can have the opportunity of making that player person um, better in his home life, you're creating better memories for him. You're creating a better experience of where you can go home and actually be present with his family rather than thinking about different things that are happening in his life. And, you know, me and you know exactly what that's like. You finish work, you take your work home with you. You, you can't actually be present with your family because you've got that football fuzz, that little thing in the back of your mind that just kind of takes you away from being present. And you talk, you're thinking about what am I doing tomorrow? What's the session going to be tomorrow? Um, and that's, that's not good. So if you get that closure... And you can leave the training ground with a smile on your face, thinking that you contributed to something bigger than yourself on the drive home. 
then the following day you're going to come back in better because you've had a you've had a free mind when you've got back in you've you've had a happier time with your family you've had a happier time at home and i think these are just the things that you can then start and do as as not a you know a, a not a counselor like you said and you know human behaviors isn't a a strong point of mind but just just be just be nice to people <laughs> do you know what i mean that yeah. that's what it comes down to just try and find ways to be nice to people and build relationships yeah we've we've had quite a few like real gems on a few on quite a lot of the podcast now and i think that's one of them re- regarding the uh the challenge on the what bike i think it's something that you probably do and you do it is um because you know you can get that you can build that relationship with a player but I think for other coaches to hear that and like I said we have had quite a few gems like that on previous episodes I think it's great for coaches to hear and need to sort of take that on board and not just replicate that but take the sort of philosophy behind it and the reason behind it and come up with ways that you can do that with your players as well 100% I mean I won't lie to you Ben I just didn't want to listen to Dre or Drake anymore in the gym I wanted to put some 90s hits back on and you know and, and relive a little bit of nostalgia but ultimately that's what came about when we ended up having a game out of it um, but from yeah from that side of things it's just how how can we find ways as coaches to have a better time at the club That that's essentially what it is can, can we have a better time can we have a uh, a more enjoyable experience coming to work every day and I think, you know, we, we talked about this when we spoke on the phone about a week ago, didn't we, about the, the kind of pay scales um, that's happening in, in professional football and how everyone's saying, you know, we don't get paid enough and this, that and the other. And look, ultimately so, but I, I think for me, yes, pay, pay does need to be better, but talking about it on Twitter isn't going to make it any better for us. And for me as a performance manager, I can do as much as I physically can to try and go to um, you know the, the stakeholders at the football club and, and get people wage increases and this and the other. But ultimately, I, I don't go to work to receive a paycheck at the end of the month. I go to work because I love doing it. I go to work because it reminds me about what I actually got into the industry for, uh, and that was to be part of a, an environment that I wouldn't get in any other line of work. And I have a, a massive, massive enjoyment for, for going to a football club such as this and operate in the way that I do. If I didn't enjoy it, then I would change change my work and I'd go somewhere else because there's nothing worse than being in a job where you don't particularly enjoy it and you don't get paid well at the same time. But I think it's forgotten sometimes, mate. I think it's forgotten that I, I didn't think to myself, I'm going to get a sports science degree and I'm going to go and earn 50, 60, 70, 80 grand a year. That, that, that wasn't the, the need for me to go in. It was because I love being in a gym. I love to be fit. I love to work with people who are in the same environment and share the same kind of uh, values of, of that. Uh, and I love to work in performance. The fact that you could go and compete every single weekend or twice a week was, was something that really interested me and, and really gave me a lot of excitement and, and happiness of, of doing that. So I think from that side, as a, as a manager of the department, my sole responsibility is to impart what makes me happy and try and put that into the environment if I can do that and everybody can love coming to work, wow, what an achievement. What an achievement. That, that's what gives, gives me the happiness every single day driving home from work is that people have had a laugh today. People have come to work. They've achieved something. Yeah, we're not just there to, to have a laugh and a joke. There, you know, there is hard work that needs to be done. But why not have fun doing it at the same time? Yeah, without doubt. I know you used the phrase on the phone, don't chase the paycheck. 
And I think when you said that, it really struck home with me. And, and the fact, I think everything you've talked about in the episode so far, that's where the focus needs to be. Um, and, and obviously what you just mentioned there in, in terms of enjoying the job and thinking about why you do it. Because if we're constantly talking about we don't get paid enough, the players get paid this, we get paid that, and and it, it's always on your mind. And like you said, it's not an enjoyable time, is it? And there's plenty of other opportunities and other sports out there. But we do have to relate it back and realise why and question our reasons behind why we're in these roles and, and the reason behind doing them. 100%. 100%. I think... Uh, again, I'm I'm not I'm not a human behaviorist by any stretch or psychologist, but I just look at the things that that make me happy or make people happy within a line of work. And you know, we we do read on the kind of little TED talks or see what happens within Google or big organisations of you know post millennials now and uh, what what gives them job satisfaction. And ultimately, it's down to the internal rewards rather than the external rewards. If, if you give someone a massive paycheck, all that's going to happen is you buy yourself a bigger house and a bigger car and you're still left with no money at the end of the month. And it just becomes that diminishing process of returns. And I, I, again, I think what we talked about on the phone is if, um, if people ever went to Skeggy or Blackpool when they were kids and they played on the 2P machines on the pier, I, I can't remember many times that I put 2P machines, uh, 2Ps into the machine and actually thought, oh, I've won... 20 pence here, I'll go and cash it in and buy some sweets. Nah, they all went back into the machine. It's it's the fun part of, of playing the game. The rewards is the process. The rewards is the is the happiness that you have along the way of, of playing the game, of the um, of the time spent thinking, oh the penny's gonna drop, I'm where shall I put it into this 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 area, this this slot on the machine or whatever it would be. It's not about thinking, I'm going to take 20 pence out of the machine here, I'm going to go and cash it in and buy myself a refresher bar. It, it's down to the point of having fun doing it, isn't it? So it's just a, it's a process of diminishing returns. If you're going to go to a football club uh, or, or any line of work for that matter and think, I'm, I can't wait till the end of the month, I can't wait till the end of the month to get my paycheck. And then your paycheck comes and you think, well, all of it's gone now. I've got to live on 300 quid for the next few weeks before my next paycheck. It becomes a pointless activity of just waiting for the end of the month to come. Just enjoy your work. Go to work, do something you love doing, and make sure the people you work with love doing what they're doing as well. It's so much more rewarding, so much more rewarding. If that's what we can do as coaches to to players, brilliant. If that's what we can do as staff to other members of staff, brilliant. If we can create an environment where our behaviours are so positive and happy and we all want to be there, Success is only going to come from it in terms of, you know, winning at the weekend, the league table. But ultimately, as a person coming home from work thinking, I love my job, I love my life. And as a result, everybody then benefits. Quality. No, I think that that's needed to be heard by as many coaches as possible at the moment. Because I think it is, we are getting a little bit caught up in, um, the discussion on salary and that and, and we've spoke about it as well we've spoke about it in network meetings we've sort of spoke about it on social media as well but our, what we always end up back at is what can we do and what can we control and, and the fact is we always come back to everything you've discussed so far in terms of the quality you're putting across the relationships with players the networking you do with other coaches so it's, it's it is a focus on the salary but 
at the same time, it's what's within our control. And you said it before, like we we aren't in control of what we earn directly, but we can be we can do a lot of things to sort of help that along the way and have the right perspective in the fact that is more money going to make us happy and is more money going to provide us that satisfaction? And I don't think it will for a lot of people. No, I, I agree, mate. I agree. I mean, look, we, we, we have to draw a line at some point, don't we, and say you, you have to earn a, uh, a wage that's going to reflect on what you've done throughout your undergraduate study, postgraduate study, pay for your UK, saying all this and the other. You know, there's, there's a hell of a lot of debt that people come into now when just getting the foot within the door to a point at which you're probably even not going to start and pay your student loan back off because of the salary. But yeah there there has to be a point where you're being uh remunerated accordingly for what you're doing and i think sometimes the positions that have been advertised for are not necessarily doing that fairly and i think that's what's winding people up a little bit within the industry and, and getting people's backs up but if you can then take a step back and think you know what i'm not here for the money to begin with i'm, I'm fresh out my degrees I'm looking at getting into sport. Uh, I've got two or three years' experience behind me. I'm still very junior in that capacity. You know, three years' experience in in professional football or any sport for that matter is not really a a great level. Um, You're not going to be uh, a complete, um, uh, completely understanding of of what's asked of you and how to then work with varying different people within three years. So you're still learning a hell of a lot. You know, you look at the kind of the, the Dunning Kruger effect. Everyone thinks they're an expert as soon as they come out, and it's it's almost that that's deleterious to them because they think when I'm first starting professional sport, right, that's it. Now I've made it. I've got three years' experience. I've got my my masters. I've got everything that I've been told that I need to have. Right, show me the money. No, it's it's not about that. You're in the environment now. Go and have some fun. You know, go, go and have some fun. As long as you're getting enough to live to your means and you can pay your mortgage or pay your rent, uh, buy a couple of cups of coffee throughout the course of the week, and if you've got a family, treat your kids at the weekend, then I, I, for me, maybe it's the simple man's life. I, I don't need to be uh, having any more than that. Um, the, the most rewarding thing for me is going to work every single day and having fun and being able to come home knowing that I've had fun and I can be present with my family. Maybe it's a, a personal perspective that I've got but I know for one, it, it certainly ticks the boxes for me and it makes me uh, it makes me happy as a person rather than just a member of staff. I think it's top advice and I think it's coming at a good time as well. So hopefully as many coaches we can get, get to listen to this uh, episode and be open-minded and take that advice on. Um, but listen, Ross, I'm not going to take too much um, of your time. I've taken enough already. So I, I, you can go and enjoy the, <laughs> the rest of your day kid-free. Um, but where can people get in touch with you if you want if they want to reach out if they've got any questions where's the best place to to get in touch yeah the, probably the best place would either be on LinkedIn or through Twitter um, you know the, there's a few um, email addresses that I've got within the club and this and the other but uh, I, th- I think the best place will be uh, will be Twitter or LinkedIn um, the Twitter handle is just at Ross Burberry and I think the LinkedIn one's the same just Ross Burberry as well um, like we talked about, you know, networking is is absolutely imperative to us for our our own kind of um, job satisfaction, learning new things, and uh, potentially looking at other new ventures or, or opportunities. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, then I'd, I'd more than welcome the chat um, and and build as many relationships as we can within the industry. 
Now, unfortunately, we lost a connection towards the end of the podcast, but I do really appreciate Ross coming on. It was a fascinating chat, like I said at the start, and I hope you took plenty from it, just as I did. I think some of the big takeaways for me were where Ross spoke about understanding the environment. He also talked about harmony in life, equaling an effective coach. And I think that that should hit home with a lot of coaches that we need to revert back to the reasons why we're doing what we do. And that also tied in with where he spoke about salaries as well. Um, So I think there were some really good, refreshing thoughts from Ross. And then, again, this ties in with what I've just said, but what makes you happy? So the, the title of the podcast is What Makes You Happy? And I think you need to decide that it sounds a bit cliche, um, but it's true. Like we need to decide what makes us happy. And like what Ross said, he, his happiness comes from getting out on the training pitch and working with the players, building relationships. And it's not solely about the money he's taking in. And I think this comes from a lot of, of business owners and entrepreneurs as well, that they talk about money doesn't necessarily cause happiness. So we need to find that we, we need to decide whether we're in the right industry. And if we are, then work in that industry for the right reasons and then if we do need to find other ways of of creating extra cash extra cash flow um then there are options to do that as well but i think the thoughts that ross had on salaries in football were really good and reverting back to the reasons why you do it are really important for all coaches so massive thanks to Ross for coming on. We did lose connection a couple of times, but I hope the episode came across okay. You can go and follow Ross on Twitter. He's at Ross Burberry, which is R-O-S-S-B-U-R-B-E-A-R-Y. So big thank you again for him uh, for coming on, but also massive thank you to you guys for listening. If you could do us a massive favor and head over to iTunes and leave us a review, that would be hugely appreciated. It'll be great to get a few more reviews on there. And we'll speak to you again next week.